Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast, where we work to help you understand how you can change the game rather than just creating substitute products. Today, I would like to talk with you about the nature of entrepreneurs who are game changers and what that means. I've interviewed quite a few of these folks, and I've worked with many of them very closely over several decades. One of the things that I see happen often, or at least the driving need for, is to create a movement more than it is to just create a project, or to create a product, or to create a business. How is it you create an entire movement? One of the things that becomes important to think about that, whether it's for you or you're sharing with others, is to write up the larger, more encompassing reason for this. Nowadays, it's often called a manifesto, and there's a wonderful website called changethis.com, which is uh, every month publishes three to four manifestos, which are written mostly by authors. 800 CEO Read publishes it, and I have one there. So you can go look at my manifesto at changethis.com by 800 CEO Read. The manifesto is a way of articulating the power that you feel, the passion that you feel, the, the determination that you feel, but it also is, forces you to articulate in much more detail what it is you think is possible and what has to happen for it to change. I've been doing this kind of work with entrepreneurs, helping them write them, and I'm gonna offer you three things I think you might just start out with, which would give you a way to write up what you're doing, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit of a story about someone that just asked me for help. So I believe that the beginning of a manifesto is articulating what you might call your beliefs, your philosophy, and your principles about a particular arena that you feel like work needs to be done in. I had a, a mayor of a city here in the Puget Sound <clears throat> come and meet with me a few uh, days ago, and he said, I believe that the future of peace on this earth is related to how the Chinese and the Americans are gonna get along. And I think business could play a big role in that. And I want your advice on how to do that. We talked a bit more. I was really inspired by listening to him. He's of Chinese ancestry. He escaped here in the revolution and has been a very active businessman as well as politician. I said, the first thing I want you to do is write down all those amazing beliefs about how important it is that world peace is gonna depend on this. And then what is it you think is about a way to do that? So that's, the beliefs are, you know, pretty much what systems gotta change, how important it is, and what you think that shift's gonna be. But the second question I ask him is, well, how would you approach this? You know, that's the philosophy. What's the philosophical approach? I mean, there, there are ways you can do that which are by pressure, uh, which certainly we can try and bring about change by uh, asking Congress to forbid people to sell to China, as we've been doing, you know, with other places where we want to bring about change. But what this gentleman said is, you know, the, chain, the philosophy I have is we need to collaborate and co-create how this happens. It is not something we try and force on or extract from the other. It has to be a way we both believe it's possible, which is why I think business could do it. He said, I'm seeing Chinese businessmen who care about their families, who care about their future, and of course, they do care about their money being safe, but they want their children going to good schools. How is it we could help them accomplish what they want and in the process have them build back into China in the businesses they have there an ability to understand what we're like, how 
we work and how we could create something together. I said, great, write that up as a part. So you've got your beliefs you're writing about how important this is and why, and what are the approaches, the philosophy you hold. The third thing you have to write is some guidelines about how you're going to proceed I call those principles, and I want those principles to be ones that lift us up, that have a gradient in them. One of his principles was it has to have a financial return for all parties, and it has to feel fair. Secondly, it has to bring real value to all of the parties, where everyone is gaining, learning, and being able to, to grow their potential, to be able to grow their contribution. Those were two pretty powerful principles, and I said, put those in your manifesto. The manifesto you can go read on changethis.org that I wrote is about what I think it takes for a business to be successful if it's going to also be responsible. The belief that I wrote that really drives it is that connecting with the essence of something is what really sources innovation. So we've talked about before, if we connect with the unique essence of a child, they become much more creative than if we try and get them to be like their older siblings or their parents. Philosophically, I approach things with a developmental mindset, which is believing everything can be more tomorrow than it is today. Every child, every material, every business, every market. And I contrast that to behavioral markets, where you try and control people and manage people to produce. Principles for me are personal agency being awakened. Everyone having, if they've lost it, the connection to that they can make a difference. The second principle I work with is connecting people to what I call external considering, which is there is more than you in the world and everything you do affects more. And the third principle I have, which is work on a whole system change rather than a part. If you can find a way to do that, we will all be much faster at becoming game changers. Today, I have an extraordinary woman who has created a movement. She has created a movement around sustainability for the brands within mostly Fortune 500, although she's also involved quite a bit with entrepreneurs in recent years. Her company is called Sustainable Life Media, and she's going to tell you more about that. Her name is Coan, and I want to welcome her right now. Hello, Coan. I'm so glad to have you here. And I would like, in your own words, for you to just tell people just briefly who you are and what it is that you do that you believe is contributing in the world. Um, Coan Vickers Cozinias. I, I am a professionally founder and acting as a chief executive still of my company, which is Sustainable Life Media. We're most known for our product and service brand, which is Sustainable Brands. And our mission is really to help shift the world to a sustainable economy. Sustainable Brands, particularly, is focusing on enabling the brands around the world to, to succeed by leading the way towards that, that flourishing future that we're seeking. And tell me how long you have been working at that when, when you started Sustainable Life Media and then when you launched Sustainable Brands. You know, it's so funny when people ask that question. Um, it's, it's hard to know how to characterize that. I could, I could speak to it from the standpoint of, of when we incorporated as a business entity that we are today, which was in 2006. But the start of any sort of venture is always far before um, any sort of incorporation. So uh, it's, it's really been... Um, not only a culmination of, of a variety of threads of life, interest, and passion, but um, a culmination of a, a lot of years of work of, of really trying to hone the vision for the business before we actually got started. How long has the conference been going on, and how has it grown and changed since its initiation or launching? 
Yeah. Um, so we we uh, intentionally started to you know with, with, the, with recognizing the need first and foremost to build a community, and and I think that's what we've been working on since we started. The, the conference was a path to be for for us to be getting the the very early um, leaders in what is now become quite a global movement together to both, both recognize themselves as part of something that was uh, focusing around a shared agenda that they maybe didn't recognize at the time. Um, and that was in 2007. So we started in New Orleans in, in the, uh, the spring of 2007 and um, brought, to, brought together about 225 people at that time. And of course now, what is that, eight years later, we, um, we're now global and, and having conferences and gatherings on four, four five continents now and, and, and expanding, we'll be announcing more uh, in, before the end of the year. So from 250 to a million plus, so it's been a nice journey since we started. And there really aren't any more continents unless you want to go down to the poles. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're going to start that, I think. The inhabited part of the planet. That's great. So you you spoke to it being a global movement, and that's exactly what I see. And I, I'm wondering when you realized that it was more than a community and it was becoming a movement and what you would advise people, you know, based on your experience, that it takes to really shift it from a community to something you believe can make a significant difference. When did that happen and what have you learned? Sure. I mean, I think that um, I think that any real community that's coming together for a, um, a specific purpose that is unique um, it, it is inherently creating a movement of its own. That's kind of what communities do. And so it's, I, I don't see the two as necessarily um, separate. I, I maybe, maybe I'm mistaking around that in that um, I guess some communities come together simply to, to share their interests with themselves as opposed to having a particular intention to shift the world around them. And, and I guess I would say that our intention from the beginning has been to create to create shift. So um, the community to us was was the, the pathway to that. Um, so it's been an, it's been an intention since the beginning. And, and of course, we've been incredibly gratified to see that there were other people who um, Caught, caught the vision and, and shared the passion and, and have been interested in playing along um, along the way. It's been very, very um, inspiring for us and, and humbling. I do think that there are people who have the intention of doing that, but many of them fall short and yeah. not from lack of good intentions. I think there is some set of ways of going about it, which yeah. I understand. And I, Two or three, you know, ideas that you would say, here's what I think we know now. And maybe you knew it then, but what do you for sure know now? Sure. You know what? I would actually give credit to a beautiful synthesis of principles that I've uncovered over the course of my professional life, even even somewhat before launching Sustainable Brands, to um, Barb Waugh, who, who wrote the book Soul of the Computer, I believe is the name of her book. Um, she was the head of e-inclusion at um, HP for some time, and I heard her speak at a Xerox Park lecture some years ago when I was conceiving of, of the work that we're doing now. And she described um, in a lecture that she gave around how you drive transformative change a few principles that I think are really um, right on, and they include aggregate to the m minority, and she talked about the fact that fringes oftentimes don't realize that they're part of something that is becoming something that has potentially something bigger and that minorities have a voice 
that um, when you bring these fringes together into a minority, they can actually in impact change, whereas they can't as a fringe. So aggregate to the minority, look like who you want to sell is a really great principle. I think one of the things that we recognized, um, you know, getting going, is not that there were there weren't people out there in, for example, the Lojas community and, and BSR and other places that weren't working toward the same basic end, but we didn't see the conversation being framed in terms that were um, resonant for business people who were commissioned with really figuring out how to drive the, the future of, of business um, from, a, from a revenue growth and, and business strategy standpoint as opposed to a risk mitigation and sort of cost reduction standpoint. And so. Um, it's been, it's, you know, we, we have a, a very strong um, sort of philosophic intention, but we also understand our customers and we, we try to frame, frame our conversations in ways that are respective and resonant for them. And um, like I said, look like who you want to sell. <laughs> One of the things that I was most excited about when I first met you and I watched you live this principle, whether it's related to the one you're trying to think of, but is you're always looking at the progress people make. You are so non-judgmental, and I so admire that. I wonder if you'd speak a little bit about that philosophical stance and how it relates to building a movement. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that is a nice segue to the other principle that Barb pointed out, which is amplify the positive. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do find that to be, you know, I think there's a place for the stick, but I think there's also a place for the carrot. And you know, inherently, we all want to be finding paths to doing, doing good and doing, doing good work and meaningful work. And it, and and my feeling, you know, at the time we got started, is that one of the biggest missing links to helping the conversation be move forward and be more productive was an, an opportunity to celebrate the wins. And it was so much, uh, you know, um, antagonism towards business. Business was perceived to be the enemy, not not possibly the solution to our, our problems. And I. You know, I was very fortunate to grow up in my early career in a company that was family owned and led and very purpose driven and um, to be you know to be enabled to pursue purpose and to see the the profitability connected to to operating from a place of purpose um, and the connection between that. So I experienced that for a long time and I just inherently maybe it's a little bit naively or a function of, of just my personal history believe that there are as many good people wanting to do good things inside business as outside of business and that the institution of business is uniquely equipped to to uh, innovate and, and, and create product, productive solutions or workable solutions that can, can help respond to the challenges that we seek. And so, um, you know, I felt like there was a false, a false mythology out there that needed to be responded to. And uh, it's, it's been... You know, I think I, I think certainly um, a good part of the reason for our success has been people's appreciation of being recognized as good people despite where they work. I was going to ask you about how you uh, sort of validate or vet relationships because a lot of people mm. want to be connected with you. Yeah. You, you clearly just spoke of one. There is the reciprocity, the ability to serve what you both share. But right. I said, there's some other things that you can connect with, uh, and I know people connect with you, which is why they want that. How would you articulate what those are? I would say that's one of the things that's harder and harder for me because, um, you know, when you're early on and you don't have any assets or any, you know, nobody knows you from anything and you don't have any necessary access, it's that it, you have all kinds of time and um, 
and and it's easy to get you know deep into any conversation and, and as we've grown and as my network and relationships have grown personally um and as more people have been aware of and been interested in participating in what we're doing it becomes harder and harder personally to do and i think that i i try to um think about you know build, building an organization that can respond to all those conversations as best as possible you know personally i have to now i i am responsible for making sure that the business that we are using as a platform for driving this mission um, is stable and sound and so i have to i have to weigh every you know conversation that i have with whether or not it's going to help me make sure that the business is stable and sound i mean that's that's just it i mean i and and that's a hard thing for me because i i'm super interested in learning i love people i i i see so many people doing so many valuable things and and i i it's hard for me to be disciplined around that it's very hard and so you know like i said i'm i'm in the place where i'm i'm trying to really think of it from the standpoint of how can i make sure that we have a team in place that i can hand those conversations and relationships off to and get the same kind of reciprocal value driven conversations happening that i might have been able to or responsible for doing on my own you didn't set out to start a business much less a movement and now you have stewardship for uh, 20 or so people who work for sustainable yeah. media. Could you articulate what you would say is sort of your philosophy about how you provide leadership management um, strategy <laughs> as you, because you have all these other people who you care about and all of them are responsible for making a, a grand mission and vision happen. What's your yeah. philosophy for how to lead in that? I mean that's a hard that's a hard thing to comment on right now because I'm feeling so incredibly and um particularly inadequate <laughs> at the moment in that it's really quite quite humbling um and and uh, interesting for you know anybody who's listening to this who's a new entrepreneur um because I did come out of a, a an a, you know an 18 year career where I was an entrepreneur for a long time and I developed a lot of the sense of self confidence in my ability to um lead and and build teams and provide the kind of support and nurturing and and space for for individuals in my team that um they needed to to grow um and i found that in in my entrepreneurial experience um first of all there's a lot of of other responsibilities beyond that 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 my, were kind of lended support to my efforts in a corporate environment that i am having to tackle on my own which leaves me a little bit more spread thin than I really expected that I would be which means that I'm not doing as good a job I think as I have done in past lives at at nurturing teams but I mean generally you know if I, my my personal management or leadership belief um really came from the leader of the company that I grew up with which is that people are your greatest assets and that you know leader's job is to serve and to create the systems and 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 to support that it's basically to understand the passion of of your your teammates individually to help them discover their best use and to connect their best use with the needs of the business in an orchestrated way that um works together and and generates value for all the stakeholders involved and then to support those people in in you know continuing to to become better people and and that's that's certainly my philosophy i believe in that um like i said i feel like i'm stumbling a little bit more at it these days and i uh, than i have in the past i hope to get 
get you know organizationally more stable so that I can get back to doing a better job at that. The um, the other thing I think of as I listen to you is there there was certainly one event where with Barbara Wall you were in a, an event, but I bet there were even before that some events in your life that helped you shift how you saw. I mean, the whole idea that bringing faiths together is very similar to what you're doing with sustainable brands. You're bringing together the different beliefs, the different entry points, and getting them to be in conversation with each other. And I know that's partly who you are, but I suspect there are some events in your life, whether it was in college or as you left or wherever. Would you share one or two Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no, it's no surprise that the tagline to our business is the bridge to better brands. I mean, bridge, bridge building is probably my core passion in life. I, I mean, and, and it, it is about bridging a sense of understanding between people who have so much more in common than they realize. You know, my parents are very staunch Republicans, um, you know, and, and I, and at the same time, and, and fear Democrats, they fear Muslims, they, you know, feel very much like the you know the world is black or white, and you're on one side of, or, or the other. Um, and and I just feel like that is such a fundamental limitation to our you know gro growing as a species. Um, you know, I, I may have shared with you at one point that I I married my first husband who grew up in a commune and um, was homeschooled, and you know. Um, absolutely as opposite of, of an upbringing that you could possibly have from, from my upbringing. I, I may have shared the story about the, the picture that we used to have on our mantelpiece with my mother in her little Betty Crocker dress and his mother in, in the hippie gauze pants in the hammock in Mexico, you know. Um, and we were both really passionate about the strengths that each of those upbringings had to offer and we really had hoped that we could could you know create a, a space where the best of those things would come together? I mean, practically speaking, it became more difficult than than um, and and hard than than workable. Um, but I mean, the beautiful thing is that our sons, you know, are are an incredible reflection of, of the best of both of us. I think, and, and that is, you know, I tell them we didn't intend it to actually work out this way, but um, it, it it's worked out. <laughs> Any um, examples that are coming out of that particular world, this whole systems change that would be, you know, just tell people even about the new part of it, where it's launching, how it's playing out. Because uh, I think this is a conversation that's increasingly on people's minds, but knowing how you're thinking about it and using the movement you've got to try and make yeah. it happen. I mean, again, I think there, that, you know, the whole circular economy um, um, exploration is catching a lot of wind right now, and I'm excited about that. The way, you know, waste to resource, just just eliminating the notion of waste in general, and creating new um, infrastructure and new um, connectivity between businesses, so that waste becomes a resource, is super exciting. And there's a lot of upside with that, and we're going to see a lot um, going forward in that space. The shareable economy. Um, you know, explosion is pretty big and interesting, and there's a lot of um, systems change that has to go on. All the policies and and um, legal support for um, understanding the the implications of, of things like you know shared housing and shared car services and all of that, and what it, what it means from the standpoint of su supporting taxation of those things and and, and otherwise, I think it's really interesting. 
Um, I'm really interested in, in the, the local living economies um, movement and, you know, the organization Bali has been working on that for a long time. I think that's one organization which has been doing great work, but, but seeing itself on uh, necessarily on one side of the camp versus global brands. And I'm really interested in globalization. So mm-hmm. how can a, glo- a global brand really enable um, and support local li- living economies? And I, I think, you know, we have a lot of question and debate about that and there's a lot to be explored and learned and just just the application of, of biomimetic um, concepts and constructs and learning to business and economy I think is super interesting and um, you know we're starting to see some some uh, uptake and willingness to, to explore and talk about those things which is cool. Each of us have something some way that we feel fulfillment Mm. And we sit back and we say, ah, okay, I need to remember to be grateful for that because it fulfills me. And I'm wondering what that is for you when you think about the days where, as you say, I'm feeling a little below my ability to lead today. What is it that does give you that sense of nourishment because it's fulfilling? Yeah. I mean, I guess if I have a sense of black and white in the world, um, it, it falls down on the side of that those efforts and energies and activities that are life affirming versus life defeating. And I feel personally um, moved to fight towards life affirming activities that shift the balance uh, toward our sustainability as a species going forward. And and I think that it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to be making collectively the right decisions that land us on, the, on that side of the equation. I feel I feel incredibly moved by that. I feel um, grateful to be able to have some sort of role in, in helping that fight. Um, and I try to realize, remember that it's certainly not just me and um, you have to, we all have to make sure we get our rest and, and trust in, in the, the movement that we're creating, the people that are working on the same effort. But I guess that's, that's it for me. Uh, is there anything that people ask you over and over again that you wish you had a video or an audio of you answering it so that you could send people there? Or have, We may have already covered it, but I just want to make sure there's not something you would like to be able to respond to so that you could use it for other purposes. Uh, how to say my last name and where does it come from? <laughs> Do that. Tell me. Tell us uh, all. Prisoners. And it is my my husband's last name, who's Polish. Vikarin is my first husband's name and the last name of my kids. Um, and Koan is a, a made-up combination of names from my parents' Danish uh, ancestry. And so that, I would love if everybody had that so they could wait, not have to ask, answer that question every time I get into conversation with people. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll post it for you and you can give them a <laughs> <laughs> but just spell it right now. Spell oh, your- well, Skrziniers is S-K-R-Z-Y-N, like Nancy, I-A-R-Z. Right. And uh, I told my husband it's one of those things that should have been left on the boat. <laughs> I think. And even they as a family all say it differently, so I have no attachment to having to be said correctly. There is no correct way as far as I'm concerned. And it's That's funny right. that people are so respectful and ask about that and are so concerned about it. I realize it's kind of awkward, but... Um, you know, it's nice to have the name Koan because there aren't a lot of us and none that I've run into, and that's enough for me. <laughs> that's how most of us know you and think of you. 
I'm so excited to have had you with us, Coan, and to all of you who just heard this interview, I know you're gonna to wanna to know more about sustainable brands, about sustainable life media, and if you go back to our website, you also can find more great interviews like this under the Responsible Capitalist, or excuse me, the Responsible Entrepreneur. We also have one on the Responsible Capitalist. Check both of those out. The capitalists are the ones who invest in these great entrepreneurs. You can subscribe on iTunes to get more, and there are even a few clips on my Vimeo channel. One of the things that I hope you will also do is check out the Responsible Entrepreneur for game-changing archetypes for founders, leaders, and impact investors. It is stories of 15 amazing entrepreneurs who are literally changing the game. Hope to see you next time. Mm -hmm.